our first meeting. Since then, I've come to look at that moment as the point at which my life split, like a page folded over and creased down the middle so that everything fell into before or after. My office is on the third floor of the arts building. It's covered with book-filled shelves and framed prints. The 1916 Proclamation. Prints of two William Orpen sketches from the trenches in the First World War. A framed and faded photograph of my grandfather with others from the Royal Dragoon Guards. And finally, a cartoon from the New Yorker featuring two academics squabbling. The last, a gift from my wife. There's also a family photograph of the four of us hiking to the Hellfire Club in the Dublin Mountains, which I had taken with my phone the previous summer. Holly's hair is wind-tossed, Robbie is grinning, and Caroline's eyes watering. We look happy, individually and as a family, my arms circling us all in a messy embrace. The city and suburbs, this campus and office are a distant blur in the background. The closest thing I can see of that outside world and the most appealing feature of the office is the window that takes up the entire southern wall and looks out on the courtyard at the heart of the building. A small copse of birch trees grows there, and throughout the year I like to observe the changing colours of the leaves and watch the passage of the seasons. I've spent my entire adult life, apart from three years working for my PhD at Queen's, on this campus. I've loved every minute of it and consider myself lucky to be here, gradually moving up the ranks from adjunct to associate professor, and I love the interaction with students at lecture and seminar level. I love the inquiring minds I meet, the irascible and sometimes irreverent arrogance of a student's interrogations of the past. I'll admit, I was ambitious, and I've had to work hard. It's not like things came easy for me, not as they do for others who seem to have a natural flair for reading the past. My work was painstaking, but it brought its pleasures. Even so, she arrived at a special moment of opportunity in my career. My old teacher and the head of our department, Professor Alan Longley, was due for retirement in two years' time. He had hinted strongly on more than one occasion that his position could be mine if I played my cards right, so to speak. Of course, head of department would mean more work, but I was ready for the extra responsibility and willing to accept the challenge. Such was my life, the happy construction of work I had built around me, until... Last autumn, that is. Back then, during those weeks in September, as the light changed and the air took on the first chill, I knew next to nothing about her, not even her name. I don't think I thought about her again until that Friday afternoon when I held my student hours. The first of them began trickling in shortly after three, a second year wanting to discuss his essay a final year already nervous about the prospects of graduation, another considering a master's. One by one they came, and I found I began to search for her among them, each time expecting to see her bright face appearing around my door. In my office there were two small armchairs and a low coffee table I'd brought from home where I conducted my meetings with students. I don't like the power imbalance when I sit and stare at them from behind the desk. I kept the door open throughout these meetings, with both male and female students alike. You see, 
Years ago, when I was a junior lecturer, a colleague was badly stung by an accusation from a female undergraduate who claimed he had molested her in his office. I remember, at the time, being shocked. He was such a weedy guy, with an unattractive habit of sniffing continuously while concentrating on a point. Strange though it may sound, I couldn't imagine him having any sexual desires. Most academics are normal people, leading their lives in the manner of any professional person. Some, however, are cloistered, ill-equipped to cope beyond the protective confines of the university. That was Bill, a hard-working historian, but naive, it has to be said. Not an unkind man, and quite gentle, really. The accusation hit him like a rocket. Overnight, he became a wild-eyed loon, determined to proclaim his innocence.